Good evening. I'm Steve Tewksbury. I'm an elder here at Grace, and I'm also a member of the choir. Uh, so I have some uh, time to ponder the words of the song you just heard, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. The words were a poem set to music, and it's all about the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. The second verse beautifully describes our situation. What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinner's gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Savior, tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favor, assist me with thy grace. These words fall in line with the scripture that we read at the beginning of the service from the prophet Isaiah, who wrote very similar words, but he did so 700 years before Jesus. Listening to these words again. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This prophecy speaks of the one who would come, who would heal our brokenness to God, our creator who designed us to live in close fellowship with him, to be in his perfect presence. Why then was there a rift and a need for restoration? Well, Genesis 3 tells us that Adam and Eve chose to listen to another voice rather than to obey God's instruction. This voice told them that they could be as God, having the knowledge of good and evil, and that they would surely not die and they listened to this lie, disobeyed, and broke that bond, and a separation occurred between a perfect God and a now fallen creation. Yet, even in our fallen state, God loved them enough to pursue his creation. The first sacrifice was committed by God on our behalf. He made for Adam and Eve garments of skin to cover their sin. God performed a blood sacrifice, literally enveloping them in the blood of the sacrifice to protect them from his perfect wrath. He did this in love. God sent them from the gardens so that they would not eat from the tree of life and remain condemned eternally. However, away from the intimacy of God's presence, it was evident with Cain and Abel that within one generation, jealousy, murder, and isolation had crept in and his creation moved further from God and further away from each other. However, the story did not end there. God continued to pursue and to provide for his creation from generation to generation. Think on these things. In a time of abject wickedness, deserving the annihilation of his entire creation, God provided Noah to the hundred-year-old Abraham and his childless wife, Sarah, a promised son named Laughter arrived in their impossibly old age. In response to Abraham's obedience of being willing to sacrifice this long-awaited son, God provided a ram as a sacrifice. Through Joseph and his dysfunctional family, I think we can relate, he provided survival and a prolific future within Egypt. Generations later, through Moses, God's wrath provided a way out of Egypt's oppression. 
God's wrath there took the form of ten plagues, where the final plague brought death to the firstborn of every house in Egypt. Well, almost every house. To deliver his people, God commanded that the blood of sacrificed lambs be applied to the doorpost of his people so that his wrath would pass over his people and strike those not covered by the blood of the lamb. Thus, the Passover was begun, and it remains celebrated to this day. So if we fast forward nearly 1,500 years from the Egyptian exodus, as Jesus and his disciples and many of the Jewish nation converged on Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast, Jerusalem was very familiar and very dear to Jesus. According to Luke's gospel, he was brought into the temple to be dedicated shortly after his birth. His family spent every Passover there, traveling from Nazareth with their extended family to celebrate the Passover feast. In a story that any family with multiple children can relate to, I'm number four, so I really get this one. When he was 12, Jesus decided to stay behind in the temple to talk with the teachers. And those teachers were very impressed with him and his knowledge of scripture. However, his parents, who had gone home with their multitude of family members, finally realized that he was missing and they spent three days looking for him everywhere. They weren't very pleased to find him in the temple. But Luke says that after that, Jesus was obedient to his parents as he grew in favor with God and man. So last Sunday, we celebrated Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Jesus' reputation had preceded him. He had raised the dead, healed the sick and lame, had fed thousands, had cast out demons, and had taught with authority. Many who hailed his entry into the city were expecting the conquering Messiah, one who would throw out the Roman oppression and occupation and establish his reign in Jerusalem. As an interesting side note, according to biblical scholars and Jewish tradition, there was another entry into the city around the same time, and those were the Passover lambs. They were brought into the city from the hills surrounding Bethlehem, the same hills where David watched over his flocks as a young boy and was anointed as the future king of Israel by the prophet Samuel. Of course, these hills are more famously known as the place where the angels announced the birth of Jesus. The king, um, as the she- he, they were announced to the shepherds tending their flocks. So Jesus Christ, born in Jerusalem, uh, sorry, born in Bethlehem, entered the city of Jerusalem, and in many ways he was the Passover lamb. Yet few people, even Jesus' closest friends, seemed to grasp the fullness of God's intention in this moment. During the triumphal entry, the crowds cried out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and Hosanna, or as some translations say, Help us or save us, our deliverer. Many of the Pharisees in the city were jealous and angry with this carpenter's son who dined with sinners. Jesus spoke with great authority and had a large following. He directly assaulted the condition of these teachers' hearts and with many teachings, and many of these teachers grew incensed with Jesus as as they tried to trap him in countless inflammatory questions while he was at the temple. Those who expected a conquering king probably grew increasingly frustrated as all Jesus did that week was to teach in the temple and at the end of the day walk out of the city to spend the evenings in the Mount of Olives. He did not lead or incite an attack on the Roman occupiers. In fact, when asked by Pharisees if it was lawful for Jews to pay tribute to Caesar, Jesus asked for a coin and asked whose image was on it and replied, give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give to God what belongs to God. It became clear to the crowd looking for a conquering hero that this was not their man. 
these zealots and the Pharisees were going their own way, and they sought to find a way to get rid of this man. By Thursday evening, as Jesus sat down with his disciples for their Passover feast, arrangements had already been made for Jesus to be seized that evening when he and his disciples would pretty much be alone. That Thursday evening, Jesus led the Passover feast for his 12 closest friends, a ritual known to all around the table. Jesus knew that he shared the table with one who had already betrayed him to the chief priests. He shared the table with dear friends who would flee into the darkness when the soldiers came, and with his closest friend, Peter, the rock, knowing that he would disown him three times, even after Peter says that he would die for Jesus. But this Passover was different. As Jesus broke the bread and passed it to his friends, he declared that the bread was his body, broken for them. Then as the third cup, the cup of redemption was passed, he declared that this wine was the new covenant in his blood, which is shed out for them. Then he spoke of his betrayal and death. His disciples still could not understand, and they began to argue with each other as to who was the greatest among them. Jesus finished the supper, they sang a hymn, and with all but Jesus, they walked out of the city with him to the Mount of Olives that evening. As the night wore on, those closest to him could not even stay awake with Jesus to help him in his distress. As Jesus began to feel the weight of sin placed upon him, and worse, the growing distance of God the Father with whom he had been joined together since before the beginning of time. As their companion Judas entered the garden with the temple guard, it was probably surreal to see Judas approaching and then kissing Jesus as the guards closed in to capture him. It's noted that Peter did put up a fight, but as Jesus rebuked him, the others fled into the darkness. Jesus' trial happened relatively quickly under the cover of darkness and secrecy. The beatings, scourging, and crucifixion took place to fulfill many prophecies that the perfect Lamb of God would be crushed and killed for our transgressions, that the perfect wrath of a holy God would be poured out on his spotless Lamb. His blood would bring us peace and heal us. Jesus died on Friday afternoon, and his last words were, It is finished. God's wrath was satisfied in this perfect offering. But know that the true power of Christ's sacrifice, the truly good news that a perfect man, the incarnate God, died on a day we now call Good Friday, well, that good news comes alive on Easter Sunday. If you believe that God sent his son for you and trust in his perfect sacrifice, you know the importance of this third day. I ask those of you who profess Christ to think about these things in the next few days. As the familiar hymn says, ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend thee. If you do not know the rest of the story or you have little understanding of the significance of Easter Sunday to the followers of Jesus, I ask you to spend some time in the Bible looking at these claims. Feel free to take one of the Pew Bibles home, possibly read through the Gospel of John. I would ask that you join us this Sunday morning or any Sunday to learn more about this Jesus that we gather to celebrate. In the words of Peter, the rock, the one who denied him, yet the one whom Christ restored, Peter says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. To sum up Isaiah 53, Christ's perfect sacrifice is reflected in the elements of this communion table. 
we will share in this table shortly, and it is a celebration for our good and for his glory. Christ the Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, come save us, our Savior. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. Please join me as we together speak the words that Jesus told his disciples to pray. It's in your bulletin. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.